0: with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. All,
1: all right, good morning, Prince George. Um, I think we just say thank you for the wonderful weather and, and all the rain that we've been having lately because uh, I'd hate to shovel all that snow. And let's hope that that does something for our drought conditions. But anyway, uh, this morning I'm very pleased to have uh, two, probably the two individuals that have been making the most news I think you've been taking up the most news space, newsprint in Prince George in the last couple of months. My guests are Philip Fredrickson of End Homelessness Canada and Brad Gustafson of Endless, uh, End Homelessness Canada, but also builder of tiny homes. And actually, I think that replies to both of you because I think I've seen you building homes as well, Frederick. Or Philip. Yes. <laughs> Sorry yeah okay uh welcome to both of you
2: thank you thank you thanks for having Very us much.
1: all right so maybe philip if you can um let's begin first uh, with a little bit about yourself how did you uh h- how, why are you in the news and, and how did you get there
2: why am i in prince george yeah <laughs> 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 um yeah so i'm a social work student um from the island um i did a year in my program and um was offered a job here as a mental health worker in a nonprofit organization and um I worked in that contract for a year and um, then I, as people say, went rogue. Um, I just saw a lot of issues that were coming up regarding our homeless community and just got more involved as a volunteer. Um, Yeah, just finding different ways to make change.
1: All right. Okay. And Brad?
3: Oh, for myself, um, uh, well, uh, I, I actually had very little connection to the homelessness scene. and then one day um i was on uh I, I was i was at a local establishment and i heard a voice tell me to take care of a guy in a wheelchair and we can debate about who or what that voice came from <laughs> but um I, I i took him home and i took care of him for 2 months and he was a a a guy who w- was uh addicted to drugs and he was a heavy smoker and he was kicked out of his shelter and he needed a place to stay that night and so I, I had to take him home to give him a place to stay and he ended up staying with me exactly two months. He introduced me to the whole scene on the streets. He had all of his friends there. They were his family and I found that to be the case for a lot of the people I, I met and so through that whole process I guess you could say that a, a vision stirred in my heart, uh, a desire to help these people and and again the voice basically said start building little shelters and so i did that and um i'll, I'll, I'll confess it was a bit of a lonely road there at first and and finally um philip joined and he threw his influences behind my efforts and kind of a long story but um he, he was able to get the gofundme going he was able to bring his social media and the me- and the other media contacts and all of a sudden, we had some funds to continue to build shelters. Not only these little tiny ones. Well, we stopped doing those, but we started the the larger ones, the eight by eight by seven mm-hmm. ones. And ever since then, really, it's been a, quite a wild ride. So that's how I got into this whole scene. That's why I'm here. Um, I have done contracting as a um, as a living for a living, but now I'm shifted into this.
1: Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, For our listeners, with concerns, I mean, first off, I mean, anyone driving down, I mean, the tiny homes are going up in Moccasin Flats. That's that court protected area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of our listeners might think, well, wait a minute, aren't you just enabling? Aren't you just enabling people to not take care of themselves? So maybe I'll go with Philip first.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, kind of a common Misconception is that, you know, um, helping people in an encampment that is protected um, that are addicted to substances um, could be enabling them. However, um, I prefer to think of it as sheltering them from the elements. So um, this has been an opportunity to get involved, uh, show community cares to this um, demographic, uh, get these people um, what they need and. Just remind them that you know we are a community that cares because I think it's been a long, lonely three-year road um, down in moccasin Flats, and with what happened in 2021, um, that was kind of reaffirmed. So we want to bring back some sense of community to people down there, and building these tiny homes has been a great way to do that.
1: Okay, so for those of our listeners who might not know what you're referring to in 21, can you?
2: Yeah, um, from my understanding, I wasn't here. I, I've only been here about a year and a half, but from my understanding, um, there was a decampment that took place in 2021 in November, um, where there was, um, a decision made to decamp and bulldoze the encampment. And that went to court. Um, the city was found liable and, um, that area is now protected, um, uh, under an injunction that keeps it safe for people to stay overnight and shelter in, without oh. um, being removed.
1: Okay, and <coughs> so I mean, uh, one uh, one other question that people often have is, well, why don't um, like aren't there enough shelter spaces, and and why would people choose to live in? I mean, before you guys started building the tiny homes, but why would people choose to live in a tent in the winter?
2: So, unfortunately, there aren't enough shelter spaces for everybody. Um, Supportive housing is full. Um, We do have a coordinated access program through BC Housing that houses individuals um, that come from encampments and off the streets into supportive housing that is uh, meant to be a temporary step into permanent housing. Um, Those are full as well. So, um, that is one of the issues. The second And most important one, I believe, is the barriers that are set for people who come to these shelters. Um, A lot of these people have been living on the streets for a number of years. Uh, To stay in a shelter means they have to let go of their belongings. There's not a lot of uh, room for them to store stuff in shelters. Um, Not to mention the infighting, the thefts, the robberies, the um, drug dealing. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that shelters... um, don't allow people in so Mm. and then on top of that uh, restrictions and and bans from shelters for behavior and stuff like that
1: okay so so brad that this brings me back to the fellow in the wheelchair that you first Mm -hmm. saw that brought you brought sort of this to your attention um can you share a little bit more about his story like does that reflect what philip was saying
3: oh yeah for sure um and i'll even add uh the question was something along the lines of so can you say it again?
1: Okay. So what does the, did his story reflect what Philip was saying? Like the lack of housing, the lack of shelters, um, but I've also the barriers to the shelters and the fact that yeah. somebody has been living on the streets for a while. It, I mean, their whole life is mm-hmm. on the streets. Yeah. So.
3: so I I I got to know him fairly well and and his family. He has a family and they are all very wonderful, normal people. And he he made some personal choices. The what I always like to draw attention to, excuse me, <coughs> is the fact that we have a system that enables, um, basically enables this kind of lifestyle. It enables it through lack of cooperation between organizations. It enables it through, um, believe it or not, this is hard for some people to hear, but it enables it through um, basically empowering drug addiction. And this is a political statement. I realize that, but. Um, we have a system that's created a bunch of barriers that have exponentially multiplied the homelessness problem across the nation, really. Like in Prince George alone, um, I remember talking to a lady who works in a shelter and she said, yeah, homelessness it has tripled in the last couple of years. And so we went from something like 100 people to 300 people just in a two or three years. Um so so, so, in the case of my friend in the wheelchair, again, he when he began to make his personal decisions, he immediately got sucked into the system that enables basically drug mm-hmm. addiction, mm-hmm. it enables um dependency on the government in this way and and he like the truth is once you're addicted to that kind of drug lifestyle, it's very, very hard to get out of it um and I know there are people out there. Listening and who, who who have experienced it, but also know people who have experienced it. It's just one of those sad realities of the system.
1: Okay, I'm seeing Philip nod. Can you explain that a little bit more? Like the the fact, like you're, because what you're saying is, and Philip was nodding, is that our system enables this.
2: Yeah. So I I think it's pretty important to make clear that um, the enabling comes from the. F- the higher levels of government that put programs in place that support the behavior. and um, I don't want to get involved in talking about the Safe Supply, but um, there are situations that develop when a new program like that comes in, and I know that the big topic right now is the decriminalization because we just passed a year, and that decriminalization um, being blamed for uh, the size of the problem we're dealing with now, however, Um, I believe that the problem would be much larger if we hadn't had the safe supply. One of the biggest issues that we deal with um, on the streets with deaths, whether it be from overdose or not, um, is just people not having a safe place to go to use. And I think that that's important because um, when people use drugs like fentanyl and heroin, they they will wander and if it's cold out they have no sense of temperature so they end up you know passing out in the snow we end up with issues like frostbite in the hospital clogging up our emergency rooms um but also deaths deaths on the streets and and you know being called overdoses because they were on drugs at the time however it was being in the extreme temperatures, right, like in the heat and in the cold and not being aware of, of where they're at. So, um, The mental health background that I have and working for the year with that nonprofit, um, trying to find the supports for people to, one, use safely, um, have a place to go, not be wandering the streets. I mean, public places like like using drugs on the street, using drugs in parks, um, that are that are all really big issues that our c- city deals with can all be addressed if we find safe consumption sites. If we find places where people can be monitored, can be safe. And I know that this this will bother a lot of people to hear this because it is just another thing that we have to do to support. But the alternative is death the alternative is um a bigger problem than than what we have now so we have to find solutions to slowly bring that down and i think what brad was mentioning about um the enabling um it's just putting things in place that deal with part of the problem mm. and when we deal with part of the problem quite often the other issues that are there become bigger and exposed
1: so what i'm what i'm hearing is that you're you're saying that okay so our government does this to you know enable but but at the end there's no there's no pathway
2: out that's mm-hmm. right yeah so surrounding support services uh, wraparound services um, I'm really hoping with this transitional housing unit that's going down into moccasin flats with 44 double occupancy units is set up properly to have those wraparound services um, I will be attending as much as I can to understand the rollout of that process um, just because the letter that we had written to the to the all levels of government um, gave five suggestions of ways that this can be done properly, and a huge part of that is uh, community inclusion. Um, a lot of the grassroots nonprofit volunteer advocate um, groups that are around need to be involved in that planning because we are boots on the ground. We are with those people. Um, most of my time, I'm a volunteer right now, but most of my time is spent um, assisting, supporting directing and just being a human being to these people who are who are marginalized
3: and just to clarify that a little bit more is is you have um, once again a system in place that's enabled a certain set of problems but they didn't foresee or maybe they did foresee but they haven't addressed how to come out the other end just like you said so it's only proper that we advocate for the issues that we're talking about so that we provoke discussion and provoke responses from the government because they're the ones who are kind of on the hook for the problem to begin with in many ways. That doesn't, um, that doesn't deny the other fact that I'd like to draw attention, and you're just going to have to forgive me for a second because I am a faith-based person, <clears throat> we do have what appears to be a, a great deal of struggle between, let's call it light and dark. And so um, that's the other side of this coin. And so in as much as the the government or the system is responsible for creating the problem, they are responsible to help solu- yes. create a solution for it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to discuss. And, but but on the other side is, let's call it a, a spiritual problem. So that is another thing that does also need to be taken into account. um uh, Maybe that's not the discussion we need to have today, but um, I, I just need to draw attention to that as well. It's not just the government's problem. And and by the way, speaking of government, it's also a society problem because because we're all people who subscribe to the system, are we not? And we're the ones who vote our leaders into place. And so I also want to draw attention to the fact that when we depend on government for absolutely everything, that's actually... Gonna, it, it already is creating a lot of problems, is it not? We, we depend on them so much that we excuse ourselves mm. from responsibility. We, our corporations, have excused themselves from responsibility. Our society, our individuals. I was one of these individuals until six months ago, or w- whenever I started. I was one of these people who said, Those guys have their own problem, they've made their own decisions. I wash my hands of it, I want nothing to do with it. That is the problem, too, because. And and you know so that's whole, that's a really big keeper. yeah that's yeah. a really big one there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm, all Absolutely. right, okay. Well, it is time for a break. We'll be back uh, talking with Brad Gustafson and Philip Fredrickson of End Homelessness Canada.
4: Daryl A. Bear is back on 93.1. Tune in for the Electric Roadside Diner in its new two-hour format, Friday afternoons at 4. All the true classic rock tracks you love, along with Daryl A. Bear's music insights and his take on what the heck's going on in Prince George. It's here for a limited time only, so don't miss out. Daryl A. Bear's Electric Roadside Diner, Friday afternoons from 4 to 6, only here on 93.1 CFIS.
2: Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats. Founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982, Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Senior's Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages
5: off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from relatin to patties
4: is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Centre. Learn to love your smile again at Dirt Denture Centre. Dirt Denture Centre offers a full range of denture services, from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Dirt Denture Centre is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Dirt Denture Centre in the Victoria Medical Building, call 250-562-6638.
6: Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today, wind from the south at 20, gusting to 40, becoming late late this afternoon, a high of 11. Cloudy tonight, a 30% chance of showers, a low of 6. For Friday, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers, wind becoming south 20, gusting to 40 late in the morning, and a high of 9. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1
0: CFIS-FM.
1: All right, we're back talking uh, homelessness, unhoused, and addictions, all of that stuff with Philip Fredrickson and Brad Guffison. Uh Brad uh, has been in the news lots about building the tiny homes, and, uh, and together with Philip, actually, and you formed this organization called End Homelessness Canada. Let's just... Um, Brad said something just really interesting, talking about the community's role in this and us turning, like, looking away and just saying, "You know what? That doesn't affect me." Um, you know, Brad, make that challenge. Make uh, and and I'll uh, I'll invite Philip to do the same. I Is think you already challenge? did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, then, like maybe Philip, uh, pick up on that. Like, why does this matter? Why? Why? You know, like, I, why can't we just say the government needs to fix this? I
2: I listen to Brad, and you know, I think Brad and I are are two very different people with very similar wants and needs for our community. But um, I'm very quickly learning the ways that Brad functions, and mm-hmm. Brad's learning the ways that I function, and we're seeing how sharing one vision doesn't mean that we have to become different people but we become very accepting of each other and very understanding and this has been a beautiful journey with brad and i do want to pick up on what he was talking about there about um community responsibility and the levels of government because being very detached from the problem expecting you know provincial government to have a response that is effective um, without municipality involvement. I look at what happened with these transitional units, and I know there's a lot of uproar about the money that went into supporting the BC housing project. And I would be too as a taxpayer if I wasn't immeshed en- in the problem. So. Um, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that the community is making an effort towards a solution, mm-hmm. and that is that is a part of what this um, transitional housing project is going to is going to provide, if it's done correctly. And I really hope that there is community inclusion involved, um, and which is why we wrote this letter to uh, all levels of government, is because. I have I have tried in in, in my life and in, in the moves that I make, connecting with organizations and being a part of the solution, um, trying to offer what I can as a volunteer. But there's red tape everywhere. There's things that stop me from being able to communicate with certain clients. Um, I have consents with a lot of clients here in town of the homeless population, helping them with things like housing, um, Ministry of Social Development, um, counseling. You know, uh, meetings, drug addiction uh, treatment, all things like that. So, one thing that I do find is when I'm approaching organizations is that they have they have a structure, they have policies in place, they have things that prevent them from working with community, and those are the barriers i want to see come down i don't want to tell organizations how to work that is not my job i i want to work in tandem with organizations and we have a really good working relationship with most organizations but there are a few who it it comes down to who are you to come to me and ask if you can be involved in what we do and i think that that becomes a bit of a power struggle between an organization and um just a community advocate. So when, when I see the supports being missed and, you know, it's the supports that are put in place by the provincial government, I see the disconnect from the municipal government as not being able to manage that relationship. So I think that there's an important part that the municipal government has to play in supporting um, the issue with homelessness and drug addiction.
1: So do you see something more... That, that the municipal government could do within its limited role and within its limited budget um what would you suggest
2: so the limited role is what i need to study up on <laughs> i don't know all the details of yeah. what the municipal government can and can't do i'm learning very quickly this has been probably one of the most educational experiences of my life i don't know about <laughs> brad but uh it's definitely Same, yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a big learning curve and um Uh, I I would like to learn and I would like to find areas where um, the municipal government can support these community advocate plans. There are like three for sure organizations that work with the homeless community that are unlicensed, that are not um, part of any organization. They are strictly um, societies or foundations or even just groups of people who want to help. And there's quite a following. So, you know, we've got over... Twelve hundred, I think, on um, and homelessness Canada and Together We Stand has, I think, about the same. And those are all people who support us with our GoFundMe, who support us with donations, who uh, show up on site to volunteer their time and their efforts. And I think those are really important things because what that does is brings people into what they might be viewing as a problem and see the solutions rather than the problems. Mm-hmm.
1: Well said. Um, and I think one thing that, just going back a little bit to what you were saying about um, enabling, the government enabling the problem without offering an off, off-ramp, that brings us down to helping people to at least survive because this is the thing that I've seen is that, okay, um, you can't sit in judgment of people who are finding themselves in a really bad spot and they don't. There there is no hand up for them. Mm -hmm. And they need a hand up. And I think it is my personal responsibility to be part of making of trying to build a hand up Mm -hmm. because we are called (coughs) to to do that. I I mean, I feel that way because um, we all know people make personal choices. But but this is your community. This is our community. And there are people who do have a hand up and and too frequently find that they have to try to navigate a maze that is way too difficult for them to to manage so i do want to get i do want to get to the letter but i want to have a full uh eight minutes to discuss that did you notice i kept dropping that (laughs) yes (laughs) yes i did yes i did there is a letter um that is actually you you've mailed to all the uh different levels of government that we'll talk about after after we come to our break but first uh brad i just want to talk a little bit about uh you mentioned we talk about a little about the tiny homes um there's no heat in them mm-hmm. and recently one burned down because mm-hmm. someone was you know tried to heat them yep. um can you talk about that a little bit
3: sure um well first of all i wanted to make sure that everyone understands that the one that burnt down was one of the ones that we built they were not ones that one of the ones that in green donated okay so, so i just want to make that very clear um uh so not not that it matters a whole lot because they're not much difference in terms of flammability but it does um it does we were asked to make sure that that people did understand it and that's totally fine there's no problem saying that um the it, the problems that people have using one of or eith, either shelter whether the ones that we built or the one that in green built are the same so it, the we'll see what happens so so with regards <laughs> to this whole heating issue um it It points to as we've mentioned, I think in previous um discussions we've th- it points to the problem of the surrounding services that are also required. It's not just about the tiny homes it's about mental health, it's about addictions counseling rehab all those things um medical care, and so that's what we've been trying to really um bring up in our discussions tiny homes. Is also necessary because there's just there's a bunch of people living on the streets with no place to go. Obviously, yeah. but they also need all of the other supports. Um, and Philip has said this in a, very eloquently at other media events and so on. But yeah, and, and so we need. Okay, so in our case, we simply haven't raised enough funds to be able to provide these units. Not only that, it's compounded by the fact that um, there are there there well the expense is a big problem obviously but but it's also a question of um how safe are they right Mm -hmm. because and and how desirable are they by other members so they get stolen a lot um if it's a d we've tried a variety of things we've tried propane heaters propane produces um too much moisture and nauseous gases um diesel similarly um requires a ventilation system so you know Solar energy is going to be way too expensive in almost every case. And the the only thing we've seriously considered, which we haven't even been able to implement yet, is a literally a wood-burning stove, a little tiny unit. Um, I have taken wet training, which is everything to do with um, wood-burning fireplaces, to code. So I am reasonably confident we can do wood-burning stoves if we put the proper safeguards in place.
1: All right. And I'm looking at my clock, okay. and it's time for a break, so yep. <laughs> I'm sorry to, to stop you there, but uh, we'll be back after these messages.
3: The
4: Prince George RCMP are asking for your help in finding 47-year-old Crystal Margaret Rosalie Horth wanted on multiple charges, including break and enter, robbery, and assault. Horth is described as an Indigenous female, five three, 170 pounds, with blonde hair, brown eyes, and heart tattoos on her left hand and upper arm. She is considered dangerous and should not be approached. If you know the whereabouts of Crystal Horth, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Canadian Arts and Culture Organizations Student Work Placement Program at the Cultural Human Resources Council is able to provide wage subsidies for post-secondary level students to work for you a two-minute phone call to confirm your eligibility, 20 minutes to complete the online application, and you'll secure thousands of dollars in less than two weeks. If you hired, currently employ, or would like to hire students, we want to hear from you. Find our contact info at culturalhrc.ca.
5: At Deb's Cafe, we have a dream. To put a smile on faces all over Prince George, one face at a time. There are many ways that can happen, but ours involves great coffee, fresh hearty lunches, and tasty baked treats served with great care. Whether you don't have a smile today or you would like a new one, check us out. If you're ready for a treat or if you have dietary restrictions, let us put a smile on your face at Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to PharmaSave at 7th and Quebec.
4: Love bingo? CFIS 93.1 has Tuesday evening TV bingo ready for your enjoyment. Get together with friends and play for a chance at great cash prizes. Bingos are broadcast live via YouTube from Chet TV in Chetwind. Card tickets are $5 each, available at CFIS-FM Studios, 1299 3rd Avenue, Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 5 and 8.30 to 2 Saturday. In support of CFIS 93.1, Tuesday evening Chet TV Bingo, BC Gaming License number 146929, Know Your Limit, Play Within It
0: featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to
1: After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back talking homelessness and tiny homes with Brad Gustafson and Philip Fredrickson. Uh, Brad, you were just finishing up on, on, because I asked you about the heating of the tiny homes Mm -hmm. and and the whole thing with, you know, they're not to code, but they're temporary. So can you just finish up that and then we'll go to the letter?
3: Okay. So, um, yes. So, with regards to the heating of these units, that's always been a big question in everyone's minds. How safe are they? How safe are they? Well, let me ask you this. If these people were staying in your home, how safe would your home be? No, It's no less flammable than one of our tiny homes. And that is the truth. And so, it's not a question of the home itself. Uh, it really isn't. Okay. It's just not. It's never been a, a real deciding factor. So, And so the question really is the addictions, the problems that these people have, and the lack of care that they get. That is the real issue. It is not about the homes. Okay,
1: well now I'm going to go off on a different tangent. (laughs) But there's so much out there. Aren't we spending scads of money?
3: We are. <laughs> and, and,
2: and I'll, I'll talk about it. And, we, and when <coughs> I
1: say we, I mean like our the, province, the, the federal government, government, the, the First pr- Nations. Absolutely. There's so much funding going in.
2: And I see, I see that with all the nonprofits in town that, that they receive these en- enormous amounts of funding towards uh, a problem that, um, I mean, in my experience, I don't see those services reaching the people they're intended for.
1: But there's an awful lot of people with an off with good hearts wanting to do and providing services. So what's the issue? What's the problem from what you see?
2: Lack of workers. We we are we're getting there. There um, I know one of the local nonprofits just hired five outreach. I I do believe those outreach had to staff a facility so that it kind of put us a few steps back. But I do see the efforts being made by nonprofits. But I mean, I'm going to give nonprofits a get out of jail free card because they have just problems dumped on them constantly, and because of policy, because of liability, because of procedures, because of the way they have to set up their organizations, the barriers are so high to reaching those supports, and without um, being having outreach workers that go into the encampment and into the unhoused community to provide supports, the fact of of those homeless and unhoused people being able to access the services i mean you've lived on the streets for four years let's say and you know you you hit the gas station you hit a grocery store you go you go to a few places maybe grab some free breakfast at saint vinnie's but how comfortable are you walking into a government building how comfortable so so i mean like (laughs) it's a
1: little bit terrifying for anyone
2: i think so well right and now and now you put the stigma of drug addiction and i mean i i'm down at the ministry of social development you know three to four times a week supporting clients who when they get there just walking through that door you see the, the change in posture, the change in attitude, they become more confrontational, they become more because they are experiencing what they've experienced over and over and over, which is a lack of support, a lack of compassion, a lack of understanding, because they deal with things like substance use
3: uh uh so so philip i'm just adding and and um adding to it so you said um lack of workers yes that's absolutely true but i still i still want to say i want to keep pointing out i think it's only true or it only should be true per capita on a short-term basis because it's the system that has enabled the problem so when we say there's (coughs) i'm just going to carry it to a logical conclusion here philip if you don't mind sure when we say there's a lack of workers, we're automatically saying, we need to fund more workers. We need government to fund more workers. And that's still part of the problem. We need to change this entire culture of thinking to put the government on the hook for absolutely everything. We need to seriously consider in our corporations, in our churches even, and in our individual lives, whether or not we're going to give to get. We're going to give in order to get that tax receipt. We're going to give in order for a personal benefit. Why does, why does our giving in our charity always have to be for our own personal benefit? Why do we have to have strings attached in that sense? And why don't we together as a society rise up and take some responsibility for a problem that inadvertently we have helped create? We have enabled the system, and the system is essentially government, which is we don't, us. Yeah. And so, and, and yeah, we're on the hook. We as society are also on the hook. It's not just the government. We've enabled the government to enable the problem. See? Hmm.
1: Hmm, okay.
3: Beautifully said.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to go to a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about this letter.
3: The
6: Nature Trust of BC is raising funds to protect 115 hectares of ecologically valuable habitat in northern BC. Conserving the Crescent Spur and Cranberry Marsh West areas near Prince George will benefit both biodiversity and climate. You can support the Nature Trust of BC in purchasing and protecting these vital properties by donating to the campaign. Full details are available through their projects page at naturetrust.bc.ca. The fundraising deadline is March 31st.
4: Whether you're waiting on a traffic light, demanding directions home from the Drake concert, or concerned about your lost nose ring, General questions and complaints do not belong on 911. Those were just three of the top 10 nuisance calls received on the emergency line in 2023. Don't forget, 911 is only for police, fire, or medical emergencies when immediate action is required, someone's health, safety, or property is in jeopardy, or a crime is in progress. Learn more about nuisance calls and 911 service at ecom911.ca.
6: Minds in Motion is a weekly program provided online for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each session has a 30-minute fitness video followed by 45 minutes of social time. Sessions are offered online Wednesday and Friday from 10 to 11.30, plus Tuesday and Thursday from 1 to 2.30. For more information or to register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033 or email helpline at alzheimerbc.org. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40, becoming late late this afternoon a high of 11 cloudy tonight a 30 percent chance of showers a low of six for Friday mainly cloudy with a 30 percent chance of showers wind becoming so 20 gusting to 40 late in the morning and a high of nine thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to after 9 on
0: 93.1 CFIS FM
1: all right we're back talking with Philip Fredrickson and Brad Gustason uh, so let's talk about this this letter um, I saw it on the council agenda and it's um, so maybe Philip I'll give it to you. Um, can you uh, tell our listeners what it is, like maybe the main points and what you're hoping to accomplish?
2: Absolutely. So, um, we work with a big group of volunteers and recently we wrote a letter to, uh, premier David Eby, Ravi Cohen, Adrian Dix, Shirley Bond, Mike Morris, Mayor Simon, um, you, you yourself, Garth, like there is just a list of all levels of government that we got here that we are trying to reach because we do see that there needs to be some form of direction coming from the grassroots. And we had a walkthrough with uh, Roley Russell. And that was one of the main talking points with him, which was a, a really good conversation and a really good experience, um, you know, as a government uh, or a, a parliamentary secretary to come down and actually walk through like, that is the experience we need from government. Mm-hmm. So we wrote This letter, actually, the letter was written by Mary Schultz and Amelia Merrick. And we put our signatures on it. And it is just providing a little bit of um, our perception, what we see, how um, we see uh, the levels of government functioning, what's working, what's not. And then uh, we ended it with five recommendations. So um, I can go through those recommendations and give you an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the recommendations is... um, A coordinated, person-centered approach. So um, this would include um, a shared registry, so something that we could all keep track of, so that we can all see where it's going, um, so that services are aligned to the individual, not the other way around. Uh, It is exhausting and precarious for precariously housed people to walk from agency to agency, and I think that's where bringing the supports to the the area where the people are and preventing that that forced walk so practi-
1: into a government building. So, so, so before you go on to the next point, so practically, what would you... Like, if you could ma- wave a magic wand, what would that look like tomorrow?
2: Okay, so there's a warming centre set up in Moccasin Flats right now that's being run by a nonprofit organisation getting supports and services in there. That is a very simple streamline, let's do this, and have that be set up as a touch point for community advocates as well as nonprofit advocates.
1: Okay, so basically this the person-centered approach
2: would be oh sorry yes
1: yes so so the that the person is the center and not like we're delivering a program
2: absolutely mm-hmm. yes so individual autonomy is super important i think that we we're discovering that with housing because as a housing first uh approach we have put people in supportive mm-hmm. housing and um government-funded housing and those are very tumultuous
1: okay all right so point two
2: yeah so um developing and enforcing a code of conduct for nonprofit organizations and service providers who receive government funding so the code of conduct conduct should be developed in consultation with community and there should be a means to address breaches of this conduct so we just want to make sure that we're tracking the money coming in to the money going out Mm. to reaching those um those people in need uh as an example, and I'll, I'll be very blunt about this because I experienced it in my work and I experienced it in, in my community advocacy, is I see a lot of wagon wheels and dad's cookies going to the homeless. And I don't find those to be um, something that is supporting the community. I find that to be a quick fix. And it's like if my kid's not eating, I want to get him eating, and he'll eat sugar. I'm going to give my kid sugar. That is the easy way out. You know, not finding alternative ways to provide nourishment, health, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, that's just one point. But there's there's sort of areas like that that we need to address.
1: Jump in, Brad. anytime that you want to, say can. You I do can
3: have it. some comments about uh, code of conduct. Believe it or not, <coughs> um, it's it's. I, I I I was not involved. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry, I was not involved in the in the uh, discussion. So, and I, and I really love all of these points. My only comment when I read it for the first time was that okay, so code of conduct is is actually um, a double edged sword. Because it can, we can use the, if we if we, if government brings us to the table and we talk about these points, we can use a code of conduct to um, do two things, or sorry, I think two things would come about. Not on the one hand, we can sort of watch over and make sure that there's cooperation. Between um, all the organizations, the cooperation that we've felt so sadly lacking, right? Yep. The 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 gray areas that don't get filled in. That's why we're here, right? Yeah. And so, on the other hand, though, there there's we need to make sure that we don't um, miss what needs what can't be missed. So there, it can't be so tightly regulated that we actually prevent the charity that we're <laughs> trying to accomplish, right? Always. And this, is, and this is this is exactly the problem with all the organizations. They have a code of conduct or. or government mandates and all these kinds of liability issues that actually prevent them from doing what needs to be done. So sure. it has to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very
1: good. Yeah.
3: Which I think goes right into the third uh
2: suggestion which is um increase trust and reduce competition for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I think fighting over <coughs> government funding becomes a really big issue and causes that that uh, disconnect from the organization. So does
1: that mean changing the incentive structure? Because usually that's the issues, like your system is designed to produce exactly the results that it gets. Yeah.
2: So So, I mean, (laughs) again, being blunt, uh, I think if you're a nonprofit organization that focuses on family, make your focus family. If -hmm. you're a nonprofit that focuses on advocacy. For unhoused, make your focus advocacy for unhoused. What I see happening in this town from almost every single organization is a a new problem arises, a new bank of funding shows up, and everybody thinks they can throw that into their programming, and all of a sudden you've got five different unhoused homeless problems getting funding, but because it is new, there is no mandate, or the mandate is very strict, or whatever the reason is, that funding will end up going wherever it goes so huh. so just just making sure that we're building trust and mm-hmm. reducing competition for nonprofits, mm-hmm. i think is super important yeah all right and i think the city would be well positioned to do this this is part of the letter so yeah. um you know getting municipal involved in um that kind of a mandate mm-hmm. uh and then number four is supporting holistic wellness so increasing mental health addiction and detox programs food sovereignty and involving families and communities. Uh, I recently sat on a policing legislation um, panel for Canadian Mental Health Association, and um, they're trying to find alternative solutions for police officers rather than just ramping up police force, bringing in that mental health aspect, mm-hmm. bringing in <clears throat> different options of things that can deal with people who have mental health who are living homelessly, <clears throat> because there are a lot of issues coming up with that. So I think... Coming back to a holistic wellness rather than you know uh, enforcement I think is is a is what number four mostly talks about and bringing mm-hmm. families into it you know the families can usually speak to somebody rather than having that enforcement come mm-hmm. in and take over and then um, the fifth can uh, I just add one last yeah about number four there
3: oh, I love the phrase <clears throat> I, I never thought I'd love this phrase. But it takes a village to r- raise a child. And that hmm. phrase actually applies here. And this is where it, where it fits <coughs> in. It, because we, we're all responsible for the betterment of society. Are we not? Yes. But we live in a society that is so individualistic, so materialistic to a fault. Like this is this is becoming a very serious problem. And we need to learn well, how to contribute back to society. I again, would say right?
1: that part of the reason that we're here is because of that that hyper focus on individualization. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Yeah. Like
3: I mean, we we, like okay, do we or do we not want to take care of our elderly parents? Yeah. This is this is. <laughs> this <laughs> a, this, okay, so we send them off somewhere else, don't we? Mm-hmm. That's you know, let that one
2: sink in for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> and with and with the, with the the baby boomers in in our society, like we actually have a problem coming. We like do. which which i think that
1: well and meals on wheels is feeling that like the seniors yeah. council they're feeling that pressure yeah so
2: absolutely so so paying attention yeah. to what's going on yeah. in your community right yeah. like oh. being involved being a part of the mm-hmm. solution
1: all right you know what we do need to go for a break so before we get the la- to the last and final point on that letter we will take a break and we'll be back talking with Philip Fredrickson and Brad Gustason.
4: The Prince George Parkinson Support Group meets the third Saturday of each month at the Spruce Capital Senior Center Anyone suffering from Parkinson's or assisting someone battling with a disease is encouraged to attend for the sharing of information, education, and support. For more information, call Gina at 250-960-1600. That's the Prince George Parkinson Support Group meeting the third Saturday of each month at the Spruce Capital Senior Center, the corner of Rainbow and Liard Drives.
5: A priest, a minister, and a rabbi walked into Deb's Cafe. Deb asked them, what is this, some kind of joke? like everyone else, they just wanted great coffee, a fresh hearty lunch, and some tasty baked treats. Our Specialty Bakery also offers numerous choices that please diabetic and gluten-sensitive customers. If you're ready for a treat, let us put a smile on your face at Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to PharmaSafe at 7th and Quebec.
3: There is, in principle, no empty spaces. Something is going to fill you. It could be bitterness, resentment, detachment, despair, or something else. Nature hates a vacuum, but God died for the love of sinners and lives to fill all creation. The Physics of Forgiveness, this week on The Lutheran Hour,
4: Sunday mornings at 8, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM
0: are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At pivotleader, we help you grow train and sell your business this is after nine on prince george's community station 93.1 cfis
1: all right well we could obviously talk a lot longer than our hour that we have uh, been allotted but uh, we do have number uh, 0.5 and we're talking about um, ending homelessness and the tiny homes project with philip frederickson and brad guffsson and, and talking specifically about that letter that uh, that came to council um, and we it's a five point proposal for our, uh, for action, and so point number five, Brad is going to read that one.
3: Yeah, sure, I'll do that one. Uh, mm-hmm. So on the f- so the, for the fifth element on this letter it's it, we, we they sorry I wasn't part of this, but it's okay. I am in a way, center our shared efforts on belonging and inclusion, ensure mm-hmm. homelessness and precarious, precariously housed community members and engage in the decisions that affect their lives including an Interagency Code of Conduct and Standard Operating Procedures. Yeah,
1: That's an interesting one, Standard Operating Procedures.
2: So I think with this, we we get people placed, I think we talked about this already, we get people placed in supportive housing, in subsidized housing, in complex care. Um, Once they're in there, it's kind of uh, anything goes from what I've witnessed. Um, the supports that that they should that they require when they're in those supportive housings just aren't there, so making sure that we have um people who are precariously housed like some of the shelters here have had people for seven years like Hmm. Housing in a shelter, <clears throat> to me, does not make sense. I don't understand why that... It's it's called transitional housing for a reason.
1: It's supposed to be transitional, not
2: Absolutely. permanent. I mean,
1: after at seven years, I'd say, well, that's a bit kind which of permanent. Is, which
2: is one of my talking points, if I ever get the opportunity to speak with BC Housing about the transitional housing units, is um, I did read in in um, that special uh, special city council meeting that these transitional housings are overnight. And if that's the case, where's the supports and services going to take place? Because if they're only there sleeping, you know, there has to be something that follows that. So making sure that while they're in those transitional housing units, there is a solution being formed for next.
1: Mm. Okay, well, this brings... I mean, so the province has like there's the there's supposed to be another facility, a wraparound facility, coming on First Avenue. That's supposed to be happening at some point here. Uh, this is
2: this is the original idea, right? This that is the original idea. Okay, so idea. three years yes. ago. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, one of those units is up. Is it up and running? Which one? The on First Avenue, there by um, Connective.
2: Yes. Connective's been up and running. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. And from what you've seen on the ground, um, how well is that working? What can you say? Can I plead the fifth? You can leave, You can absolutely. Whoa, I mean, then. I mean, it's working
2: as well as any other supportive housing unit. They have a complex care um, area in that trend, in that uh, supportive housing. <clears throat> Do I think it's had much impact on increasing quality of life for people? Absolutely not. Um, lack of staff, lack of services, same same issues that every single shelter and supportive housing Gosh. unit in this town has. We period. just
1: sound like we're in a total mess.
2: We are in a total we mess. We are in a total mess. And you know what? All we're doing is bringing it to light. We just, a lot of people don't, they look at the community and they, they don't have this inside information.
1: And I, and I think like <laughs> what people see is they they come downtown, they see this, the, the ghost l- town, they see a ghost town they, and it's like, but also it, this is all happening throughout our city, right? There right. are people who are living on the streets and or like in they have encampments in in the bushes and and stuff just to survive um we just have a few minutes left uh brad where do you think i mean you guys are bringing the issue to light and you've talked a lot about our, our personal responsibility and our organization's responsibility where do you think like what would you like to see happen in the next maybe three months like how what, that's sort of I'm tossing that out to you. Like, what do you think could move the issue forward to begin in a in a good way?
3: Well, obviously, I um I encourage all levels of society and and community to discuss this matter until it gets resolved. I mean, this is this is an urgent issue. And when it you're is tired a, of
1: it, you just keep talking. No, we need <laughs> to we
3: need to raise the awareness. We need to begin. We need to continue. Okay, so. One of the problems we've seen is too much dialogue, not enough solutions. We need to start making the solutions. Um, it literally took a non, uh, like myself and Philip, we were not associated with any organization, any mandates, any funding whatsoever. That's what it took to make sort of this problem come to a head and, and, and in, in the public sphere, that is, the yeah. awareness campaign. And so, and so why is that? That's a problem so we need to as a society begin to wake up we need to wake up all of us collectively and we would very much like to suggest to governments not just here but elsewhere give us a seat at the table help us solve this problem give endless homeless and homelessness canada a voice and and that's not just you know us co-founders that we represent because of our experience our ties our friendships with these people we represent them in a very real way so give us a voice get us an opportunity to help the solution, all and right. you can
2: find us on uh, Facebook at End Homelessness Canada. Uh, also, um, we're on TikTok. We're on all the platforms, so we're slowly building our our following, and we're working towards finding um, positive solutions to yeah. to this issue that the government's struggling with. And that's part of the reason is the detachment. You know, the the government is detached from the problem,
1: and and <clears> that <throat> is partly because. For years, we've just sort of been looking the other way or just not even aware. Or and busy
2: with other things. Busy There's a lot things. going on yeah. in the world. I don't blame anybody. <laughs> I just see the problem and I want to point it out. That's right.
1: Well, and, and I think I think what we do need to realize as a society is that unless we become more engaged, and not everybody has to, right? Mm-hmm. But we need a lot of people, a lot of good people involved to get to move the issue forward and to begin to find solutions that work absolutely and not mm-hmm. giving up until that happens thank you very much gentlemen thank for you for having us thanks for in. having us and uh appreciate uh, we'll the we'll see work you th- on the 5th <laughs> <laughs> all right 5th
2: at 6 p.m. <laughs>
1: on on the 5th at 6 p.m. at city hall they're uh, coming and um so just do keep in tune and uh, just a note to remind everybody that tomorrow is Friday, and that always means the Friday political panel with Rez Krebs. And so that'll be happening tomorrow at 9. Join us then.
0: After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10, and for past shows, check out the archives link at cfisfm.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca.